Heavenly Father, my prayer, Lord, this morning is that you would speak, Lord, that the question that you laid on my heart, Lord, that I'd find an answer, and that if you truly made us for a moment such as this, you'd reveal that to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this chance to worship you. And thank you for thank you for your word. That's timeless, Lord, and true. That it speaks to me, Lord, in powerful ways, and it spoke to people like that thousands of years ago. So reveal truth to us, Lord, as we read it this morning. Thank you for your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. The question this morning is are you willing? I see this morning you're probably sitting in your pajamas. You probably had Christmas baking for breakfast. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying you probably did. The kids are probably at this point so loud that you can hardly hear the TV and you're probably adjusting the volume to try to get it louder than them or trying to push them downstairs so that you can hear it. So I'll sum it all up real quick. And maybe the internet connection is going to cut out halfway through. I don't want you to miss the ending. Here's the point. Are you willing? Are you willing to love other people the way that Jesus loved us? Am I willing? Here, here's a few examples for you. Say you have a five-year-old in your family. Say his name's Cooper. And his specialty is throwing toys at people. Or maybe knocking people over. And you could be tempted at times to lock him in the basement for hours at a time. The question is, am I willing? Am I willing to give him a second chance, to give him the grace and the mercy he doesn't deserve? He never has. Am I willing? Am I willing for a three-year-old named Jesse who stands on the couch and his favorite thing to do right now is to play with the lampshade and it doesn't have a screw on the top holding it down because why would it have a screw on top? That's been gone for years. So he just plays with the lampshade and this morning as I'm getting dressed, and I'm focused on trying to get ready in time, and I hear this lampshade moving. I go in the living room, and there he is, shaking the lampshade, standing on the couch. And I was tempted yet again to lock him in the basement, along with Cooper, who's downstairs, banging on the door. He wants out. The question is, am I willing to give him a second chance? We gave him cereal this morning. He wouldn't even finish his milk, and he's just looking at me. Dad, can I go? Can I go? He wouldn't finish it. Am I willing Austin's favorite thing to do is to take the ice cream cart and drag it through the house. So he takes the little cart and he pulls it all the way around the house and goes into every single room with it. As you're trying to run into the bathroom quickly with Jesse to get him in there in time, you just hear the door open and in comes the ice cream cart and it's singing its song and there's little Austin because he has to follow you regardless of what room you go into. Even when you've asked him a hundred times to stay out. Am I willing? When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. See, this wouldn't be obscure for Jesus. This is a story from Matthew 8. You've probably even read this story before. Jesus has just finished the sermon on the mountain. And you might be thinking, okay, Darren, three days after Christmas here, like, come on, bring us back. What are you doing with Jesus as a grown man? We'll get to it, don't worry. Jesus will be a baby by the time this story is done again. 
He's coming down the mountain. Large crowds are following him. A man with leprosy came down and knelt before him. I hadn't noticed that before. I knew that he had met the man with leprosy and they had this conversation. I hadn't read it slowly enough to notice this, this kneeling before Jesus. I can imagine this, though. I can imagine that as the crowds of people are surrounding Jesus, he's just come down from his sermon. Hundreds of people, we don't know the number. And out of this crowd emerges somebody, and I'm sure the rest of the crowd is making room for him. And the disciples are backing up, and the whole crowd is backing up. They don't want to get too close to this gentleman. And this gentleman comes up to the Lord, gets down on his hands and knees, and he kneels before the king. And he says to him, are you... Willing, not all are you powerful enough, not are you able to Jesus, Messiah, son of David. The man kneels before him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus just spent three chapters lecturing the people on their heart, needing to be in the right place. It's one thing not to murder people, it's another thing not to hate them. It comes back to my heart. I can control my hands. I can keep from stabbing, but can I keep my heart from hating? It's much harder. And Jesus encounters this man, and right away, all of his words are put to the test. It's like when the pastor preaches on loving one another, and then we get mad at someone right after church. And you're like, well, there goes that sermon. (laughs) Jesus, are you willing? Are you willing to humble yourself? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. When me and Cooper and Jesse pray before bed, a lot of the times we thank God for being our friend. And we have to remember that he didn't have to. He didn't have to. He chose to. He was willing to. Jesus coming as a baby at Christmas. I can read that story, remembering that every year as I read it, Jesus comes as the baby, Emmanuel, God coming back to earth. But he didn't have to. But I expect him to because he did. It's like reading through the Exodus story when he shows up in the burning bush. Like 400 years of God not saying a word to his people. And yet he's still willing to come back. Not because of anything that they've done, but because he is God. And he has a plan for their restoration and for their rescue. And just like in that story, there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament where we don't see God speaking from Malachi to Matthew. It doesn't seem like there's anything going on that would have earned God coming back to give us the second chance. We haven't done anything. The people are as evil now as they've ever been. The fact was, he was willing. He was willing. Emmanuel, God, creator of the universe, I love this, takes on the body of dirt. Like, he took dirt, the breath of life came out of him, goes into this dirt, and it comes alive. He chooses to make himself out of that dirt, to let the dirt kill him, murder him, and execute him so that he can restore the relationship that he once had with his creation. And he didn't have to, but he was willing. 
So as the shepherds encounter this baby, they're looking at this gift they don't deserve. They didn't do anything. There was nothing special about these shepherds that deserved Emmanuel to come back to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and Malachi. Like even Zechariah, all of those prophets that talked about Jesus coming back. The shepherds didn't deserve this. Even the fact that God would reveal himself to them first. Like shepherds are outcasts and scum, and yet the angels appear to them and say, Come, the king is here for you, for the great joy of the people. Come. They don't deserve that. Jesus' whole ministry, multiplying the food for people, the blind, the deaf. How about spending time with the prostitute and the tax collector? Inviting them into these meals, like the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' life isn't changed because God attacked his sin strongly, holds him accountable, and after a revelation of how pure God is and how evil Zacchaeus is, And after exegeting five chapters of scripture, Zacchaeus now knows that he is living a life in sin and is motivated based on that that great sermon Jesus preached to go forward from that moment a changed man. It's not that at all. It's Jesus extending this love to him he doesn't deserve. Jesus saying, would you like to have lunch together? And this encounter with love this willingness for Jesus to be in his presence is life-changing to him. Just like Jesus stepping in to the moment this leper has here kneeling on the ground is life-changing. It's life-changing for Zacchaeus to have this moment with Jesus because he's willing to. John 13. Jesus and his best friends gathered together to have the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He loved them until the very end. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal. Took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You can tell by the response of Peter that this was startling to them that the king of the world would take off his coat, would humble himself in that way to wrap the towel around his waist and fill the basin, to get down on his hands and knees, to take his disciples' feet and to start to wash them. That Peter doesn't even know what to do and says, Lord, no, thank you. I won't allow you to humble yourself and humiliate yourself in this way. There must be other people in this household who can come in to do this disgusting job. There must be other people. And Jesus confronts him, you're missing the point. What servant is above his master? What what messenger above the message? Here's the point, Peter. That I am Lord. You're right in calling me Lord. And I am going to show you the full extent of my love. Go and do likewise. I'm going to wash your feet. Why? Because I'm willing and you don't deserve it. You never have. 
And that's the point. And as he goes around the room and washes all of their feet, they're watching as their God is humbled right in front of them. It's humiliating. And Jesus is doing this one by one, going around the room. He gets to Judas and washes his feet. Knowing full well his death is hours away. And he's washing his feet. Why? Because he's willing. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. They didn't deserve that. When Judas was gone, Jesus said in verse 31 of John 13, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You look at me just as I told the Jews, so now you know where I'm going. You can't come. A new command I give to you. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. This is the summary of Jesus' ministry. And not only that, but it's him pulling the greatest commandment right into the context of that moment. It's one thing to stand on the mountaintop and say, everything that you've been taught for 2,000 years... All 613 laws, they're summed up in loving. But then it's another thing, moments before Jesus goes to the cross to say, watch the full extent of my love in action and go and do likewise. Like, I'll show you what it looks like to love one another. I'll show you. Moments from now, I'm going to get arrested. Moments after that, I'll stand trial before people who will lie about me. They will beat me. They will drag me out of there and make me carry my own cross up the hill. And then I will watch as they put nails through my hands. And then I'll forgive them as they do it. Luke 23. The soldiers casting lots for his clothes says that Jesus is crucified in between two criminals, one on his left, one on his right. He's crucified. And as he's hanging on the cross, the soldiers cast lots because somebody wanted to take home his coat. And as they're rolling the dice to see who wins, Jesus looks down and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just the willingness to give them a second chance. Like one thing to heal the leper, one thing to spend time with Zacchaeus and have lunch with him, another thing to look down at his murderers and to say, Dad, is there any way we can give them one more chance? Because I'm willing to if there is. Can we forgive them? That's humbling. That is humbling. As a church, we're called to that. As Jesus is hanging on the cross forgiving people, that really simplifies every conflict I have with anyone ever. 
Like, when Nick does something annoying at work, am I able to forgive him? It happens all the time. Can I forgive him? I'm just being honest. And I'm like, well, if Jesus can forgive the people murdering him, I can go down the hallway and forgive Nick. I can do this. I can do this. When Cooper and Jesse and Austin are destroying our house, I can do this. I can be willing. I can be willing to love my neighbor as myself. I can be willing to put my wife and her wants and her needs and her heart, I can be willing to put her ahead of myself because he was willing to do that for me. It's the Christmas story. He is willing. God came back. It's no surprise, as me and Chantel were doing marriage counseling this year, something that comes up as we talk to young couples is this desire to take care of ourselves first. We come into this relationship falling in love and we're emotional and we're happy and excited and we can't wait for all the things that we're going to get out of this, the purpose and the joy and the fulfillment And then they come into this counseling, we have this talk, and we're like, are you willing to die for them? The person's like, no, didn't sign up for that, but I'm excited to get married. (laughs) How far are you willing to go? How willing are you to put someone else ahead of you? Ephesians chapter 5, wives submit, husbands love like Jesus, love the church. Like you love your own body, love her to make her holy and pure and present her blameless. This is the relationship between Jesus and his whole church. Well, we see the relationship Jesus has with his whole church. He loves her with everything that he has. Question is, am I willing? Like Philippians chapter 2. Have the same mind of Christ to love others ahead of yourself. Am I willing, John the Baptist, am I willing to make myself lesser to make him greater? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. By this, all men will know. All people will know. They will know who you are. It'll be clear. And do you know what is very clear to me? We're not great at this. I was thinking about this the other day as I was pretending to preach here in the church. And I'm standing in this empty sanctuary, like completely empty. And I'm looking at the doors out there. And I can see the doors. And I'm thinking, if we loved people that way, like if we loved people ahead of ourselves completely like Jesus, If that was who we were, would there not be hundreds of people lined up out there waiting to get in? Wouldn't you have to take a number for a chance at having a seat in this place? Like all people would know that we're Jesus followers because our love for one another would exceed anything that is natural. It would have to be supernatural. Like this this group, this family of people would look so different from every other group of people on earth that they would know that we're Christ followers. 
When people look at you, do they know before you speak? Do they know before they know your history that you're a Jesus follower? They look at you and see that love and go, there is something in her, there's something in him that is so distinct. Like this love for the orphan, this love for the widow, this willingness to lay your life down for somebody else. The way they live in the relationship with their friends, the way they live in relationship with their spouse, the way they interact with their church family, the way they reach their community and love other people, the things they post, the words they say, the jokes they make. Is there something about them that doesn't make sense without Jesus? I really think that's what sets apart the Christian marriages from the non-Christian ones is that we are willing to lay everything on the line for each other and put the other person first. Like what kind of conflict is going to enter that relationship then and separate us? If loving my wife is a greater priority than even loving myself, then what conflict, what mistake could she make and bring into that relationship that I couldn't forgive? And she to me. Like this should be a bond that is unbreakable. Like two people becoming one. There is no way to separate two people that have become one. But if I'm focused on me and she's focused on her, then we're two people living together. We're not one person. And that can easily be broken apart. And the same in the church family. What sets us apart from other clubs and other groups of people? What set apart the early church in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4? Their service to the orphan, the widow, the fact that they're selling their fields to take care of one another, that no one in their group ever had a need. Like they're meeting daily to pray, to fellowship, to break bread, and for the teaching of the apostles. And every single day, people are joining their number. Every single day. Who in that world would have been taking care of the orphan and the widow? Who in that world would have been selling fields to give away the money to people in the church who had ran out of money? People potentially who had squandered their money, who hadn't worked as hard as the people with the fields. And it doesn't say because they deserved it and earned it, the people with the field sold it and shared that wealth with other people. It just says they did because somebody had a need. I just, I wonder. It's one thing to stand here each Sunday and pray a benediction and ask that we would be this great light to the world. If we're not willing to, I just feel like I'm repeating myself. It's like telling Jesse, like, stay off the couch. He climbs back on. Stay off the couch. Don't stand on it. He climbs back on. Sometimes it feels like that as a pastor. You just stand up here and you open the Bible. And it's like, love one another. Love one another. Light to the world. Your good deeds before men will bring glory to your Father in heaven. Love one another. And we go, that's a fantastic service. Great sermon. Click. 
then we just go off and we live our lives the way we choose to that make us happy. If you grew up on a farm, you'll remember the feeling of driving home at night and seeing the yard lights from a long way off. If you grew up in town, you might remember seeing the lights of town. Of course, you'll remember the color of your yard light. You'll remember how many. You won't forget that. We have three. And ours were orange. I knew that because six miles away from our farm, you could see them. And our neighbor had a different color, but ours were orange. And there were three of them spread out across the yard. Miles away, you could see them completely visible. And I'm just looking at the church family and thinking, how are we not that here in the center of Swift Current? How aren't the people, like there's almost 20,000 people in town. How aren't they all swarmed around the building, beating on the doors for a chance to listen to Nick preach God's word? Like how are they not just begging for a chance to attend mops and youth group and to be part of men's and women's ministry? And just for the life of everything inside of them, they want to be in a life group. Please. They would give up their children's sports and they'd give up after school activities. They'd give up their own hobbies for a chance to have that. Because in it, there is something life-giving that they're not experiencing. Anywhere else. And yet what the church offers and seems to give is no different than what people get at the rink. Friendship, encouragement, how you doing? Have a great day. Like there's friends at church, there's friends there. So if I have to choose between going there and going to church, both sound like fun. I remember that. Played hockey my whole life. They put games on Sunday. Dad had as many friends at the rink as he did at church. And the people at the rink didn't judge him. People at the church did. They were friendly. But as friendly as church people can be. Like, why did we have to stop and think about which one we wanted to go to? Why did we have to consider that? Why wasn't being a part of the church family something so beyond normal that we would have given up anything to be a part of it? Why don't other couples look at the Christian couples and say there's something in that relationship that I've never experienced that I would give anything to have? I wish my wife loved me that way. I wish my husband loved me that way. I don't know if they see anything that different when they look at me and Chantel. I don't know if they notice anything different, but they should. last sermon of the year. I don't know if you've thought about that. This is it. Last one. Next time you see us, it'll be 2021. Amen. Amen. <laughs> this is it. Something about a new year is just like this breath of fresh air. There's so much hope in that. Man, this year, it's just trash, wasn't it? Like so much of it was just hard. It was just really hard. 
And somehow next week, nothing's going to be different next week, but somehow, mentally, subconsciously, next week is a new year, a new chance, new opportunity. It could be completely different, even though it won't be any different. But it could be. It's a new year. I hope you get excited. I hope if you're watching at home, you are excited. Because we as a church family have the opportunity to be completely different. You, in your friendships with people, in your community, in your relationship with your spouse, whatever it is, you have the ability to choose how you will live, how you will start this year, the direction you'll go. Are you going to bend down to the leper who's kneeling on the ground and humble yourself and say, I am willing? Are you going to take the basin of water, take off your coat and wrap the towel around your waist? And wash some feet. Are you willing to hang on the cross and look down at the people rolling dice for your coat and forgive them? Are you willing? Because this could be the year that conflict ends in our church. This could be the year where our ministry explodes through this city. This could be the year where our church family is united together in love in ways we've never experienced. And that's the story of Christmas. A second chance we don't deserve. But he was willing to give. That's why the whole sermon series throughout Advent was on giving each other second chances. And having a second chance at love, joy, and peace, hope. So before you have lunch today, ask yourself that question. Am I willing to love? Am I willing to give a second chance? He was willing. Are you? Here within a manger lies the one who made the starry skies. This baby born for sacrifice. Christ our Messiah. We trust that as you've worshipped him today, you've felt the juxtaposition of those two things. The beauty of his birth and the agony of his cross. Psalm 103 says, God understands how weak you are. He knows that you're dust. Your days on earth are like grass. The wind blows and you're gone as though you'd never been there. Verse 17 says, but the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Forever. You see, the baby in a manger is not just a revelation. He's a revolution. And the question that he poses to every one of us, those of us who have known divine love, the question he asks is, are you willing to take that divine love that you've been shown, that you're filled with, and are you willing to pour it out for others? Are you willing? Let's pray.
Father God, this week, you are going to put someone in our path. Even though we are isolated and there's fewer people that we come into contact with, you're going to do this. Someone's going to phone or knock on our door. You're going to bring someone to our mind at 3 o'clock in the morning when we can't sleep. And you're going to ask us if we're willing to love that person with the love that you have poured out into our hearts. You're going to do that, Lord. Because that's been your plan from the beginning. Is that your children... Those of us who know you as Savior, who call you Lord, who've experienced that forgiveness of our sins and that amazing divine love, that we would take that same love, not from ourselves, but from you, and that we would pour it out. Second chance Christmas means that I am second. Bring glory to your name this week through our obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May your last days of 2020 be exciting and may the days that lie ahead in 2021 be a blessing to you as you follow God. Have a great week.